We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. hope you uh, will enjoy the Word tonight. We're in Matthew 26 again. If you'd take your Bibles and turn there, welcome if you're on the computer watching us at home or on the road or wherever you are. We're grateful for your participation. We're going to be talking tonight in Matthew 26 and verse 36 about the Lord in Gethsemane. And this isn't the most um, happy-go-lucky message that you're ever going to hear or passage of Scripture that you would ever read, but it is next in our sequence. And so that's what we're going to do is look at this. And so in Matthew 26, 36 through 46, the Bible says these words. Then Jesus came with them, that's the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, you know their first names, James and John, that's correct. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, stay here and watch with me. I think he's talking about watch in prayer. And I think Colossians tells us something about that too, doesn't it? To watch and pray, um, be watchful unto prayer. Verse 39, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Then he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So dinner is ended. The disciples are processing all the bad news that they've heard, the betrayal of Judas Uh, Peter's denial and the fact that all the disciples will flee. Remember that the Lord said from Zechariah 13, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That was in uh, Matthew 26, 31, our previous section. And so they had all this to kind of process and they were on their way to the Mount of Olives. Um, And it, it tells us that they were on the way there in verse number 30 when they had sung a hymn after supper, the last supper, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And evidently on the way, the Lord talks about the uh, shepherd being stricken and um, Peter denying him. And then they come to Gethsemane. And so the Lord took them to a piece of land 
often just translated a place. In my Bible, it says to a place called Gethsemane. But since I'm teaching Greek right now, and we don't need this, I'll just set it aside. Since I'm teaching Greek right now, I'm sensitized to some of the details of the words because there is a word tapas, which we studied, and the students are assigned this uh, last couple of weeks to learn. And it is uh, the word for place. But this is not that word. This is the word for chorion. Um, it's a, like a cultivated piece of land, a garden, a, uh, something like a, a farm kind of thing. Not just a, a place, but a specific kind of place. And the Bible says that it was named Gethsemane. It was east of Jerusalem. If you can imagine the map in your mind, east of Jerusalem at the foot of the Mount of Olives or along the slopes of the Mount of Olives. It may have been enclosed because John 18.1 says they entered it, but it doesn't have to have been entered, just like you might have a garden that you enter but doesn't have fence, a fence around it. Ours does because we have deer that would help themselves to all of the produce if we did not have a fence. But um, So it, they entered the garden. It was a place where the disciples commonly went with Jesus. How do we know that in John 18:2, which is a parallel passage here, it tells us that they commonly went to that place. And so that's how we believe Judas knew where they would be. Like this was a normal hangout spot, if you will, for them. To get there from the upper room, they had to leave the city and they had to cross the Kidron Valley. And there was a, a very kind of large drop-off in elevation and then a rise to the Mount of Olives. And that, that uh, valley, um, in fact, I think it says, I don't know if it says here, let's see. Um, it doesn't give as much detail as the other Gospels, but they had to cross the brook, okay, the brook Kidron, and, uh, or stream, you might call it, and so really what they were doing, the word there is not really just a valley, but it's a ravine. Imagine the difference between just a nice sloping valley and a ravine where you're kind of climbing down and you're having to climb up a little bit. You know, it's, there's probably, you know, well-worn pathways and things like that. But today there is in a place believed to be Gethsemane, a, a, an olive tree garden, a place where there are olive trees, and there probably would have been that. Uh, there before. And, and the reason we would suspect that is because, well, it's the Mount of Olives for one thing, but the, the name Gethsemane comes from the following Hebrew words, Gat Shemanim, Gat Shemanim. And the word Gat means a press. And uh, Sheman is oil, or Shemanim are oils. It's an oil press. It's an olive oil press. Uh, perhaps there was one there. There certainly was the fruit that would go into one of those. And so that was the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of the oil press. Tradition has it that the oil uh, was pressed out of the olives in four rounds, if you will, four steps. Uh, the first press... Uh, was where you would get what we call the virgin or extra virgin olive oil, the very best of the olive oil. And it would be used in the temple for anointing and other things that were required there in the temple. Now, 
Just a little note, if you wonder, you've seen perhaps in the store uh, uh, virgin olive oil and extra virgin olive oil. The difference between them is that extra virgin meets the requirements to be called that if it has a fatty acid level of 0.8% or lower. Fatty acid level, 0.8% or lower. And the regular virgin olive oil has a fatty acid level between 0.8% and 2%. Okay, So that was the first press. The second press was for cooking oil. Okay, The third press, that you know, the third kind of round or... I'm sure it kind of came out in, in um, you know, the first part, second part, third part. The, the division line might be a little fuzzy, but experts would know. The third press was uh, oil used to uh, burn for lights. And the fourth press was olive oil for cleaning. Okay, so you had the best of the best for the temple, for the cooking, for the lighting, and for the cleaning. And I've I said that just just for curiosity's sake, but also because if you think of the great pressure that had to be applied to this mass of olives and the flesh of those olives, the, um, you know, the, 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 what do you call it? I don't know what the word is. I'm looking for a particular word. Just, you know, the, the, the skins and, and stuff of the olives, all that pressure that would have to be put on there and how you'd have to kind of grind that around to get the oil to come out, all of this reminds us of the spiritual and physical pressure that our Lord was under when he was in the press. And he was in the Gat Shemanim, Gethsemane, being pressed beyond measure uh, because of the sin of the world that was about to be laid upon him and about the physical suffering that he would suffer, about the separation from God, if you want to call it that, the, uh, the, the judicial wrath of God being poured out upon him. Just a good reminder that like olives being pressed one, two, three, and four times, so our Lord was pressured as well. He directed the eight disciples to sit in a certain place. Let me see, did I do my math right? We have eight he took Peter, James, and John, that's three, so eight plus three is 11. Of course, Judas wasn't there, so there's only 11. And of course, we don't know who else might have been there, some of the women who were serving or something like that. But in any case, he directed the eight disciples to sit in a certain place while he went a little farther on to pray. And I'm thinking of other disciples being present at the meal, but uh, this sounds like it's more private as they move on here from into Gethsemane and then farther he took with him Peter, James, and John, and then Jesus left them and went even yet a little farther on, and he prayed. Now, I want to talk about the mindset of the Lord, okay, the mindset of the Lord. He told his disciples that he was feeling very badly. First of all, it says in verse number 37 that he began to be sorrowful. He was distressed. He was grieved. It says that he was deeply distressed next. That's the second uh, comment. It means troubled. Troubled. Have you been troubled? Have you been distressed? Have you been deeply distressed? You haven't been this deeply distressed, but you might have been distressed. You might have been troubled. You might have been grieved. You might be sorrowful. Uh, Even the Lord Jesus, as perfect as a man as he was, had these emotions these feelings that what he was facing. 
thirdly, the scripture says, he, he explicit, explicitly says to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. I'll, I'll say it in you know, easy English, very sad, <laughs> very sad. And then notice this last phrase. This is very troubling. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death even to death. His feelings were near to death itself. Notice that the Lord was not only anticipating the physical agony that he was going to face in the next hours. He knew, in addition to that, that he would somehow be cut off from communion with the Father because of the judgment that was about to be poured out upon him for the sins of the world. In bearing our sins, he became the true substitute. Okay, When we think of substitutes, oftentimes we think of something lesser. Like a substitute teacher is not as good as a regular teacher. You know, she or he is just kind of filling the gap until teacher comes back to, you know, get us back on track and get the lesson plan moving again the way it should be. In this case, he was a better substitute than any other could be. He was the substitute for our sins. He became a true substitute, as if he had sinned. He didn't sin, but as if he had. He was made to be sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This means that he was constituted sin so that he could take the punishment that we deserved. He had never experienced this sort of thing before for uh, 4,000-plus years of world history before that and eternity, if I may say so, before that, he had never had a broken fellowship with his Father or the Holy Spirit all of that time. But in the upcoming hours, he would. This is the kind of spiritual suffering that would drive someone to physical death just in anticipation of it. And that's why Luke, we read that he sweat great drops of blood. Again, the olive press as it were, pressing out the very blood of the Lord because he was about to take unto him a horror of horrors, the blackest of darkness for the sinners that he was saving in the world. And so he was sorrowful even unto death. He says to them, stay here and watch with me. If you had a friend who was sorrowful unto death, couldn't you... Pray with them. Couldn't you bow your head and bow your knees to the Father and ask God to help them through this? Sometimes I've had that feeling when you think of a dear brother like Pastor Odell and think of the suffering that he's experiencing mentally, physically, of course, spiritually. He's very strong, but yet you think of the grief his wife and all of the difficulties associated with it and you just want to pray for them and just cry out to God or you have children that you've prayed for with tears in your eyes you've asked God please help them Uh, you've had friends in ministry missionaries who have had trouble and you cry out to God for them watch and pray what do you do when you're troubled what do you do when you're deeply troubled Well, can I burn this into your mind? When you're in deep distress, pray, pray, pray. 
you know, when you're, when you're doing a kind of a physical activity, you can develop a muscle memory for it. You know what I mean? Like you get good at, I don't know, tying your shoes or tying a tie or, um, you know, handling a, a firearm or, I don't know, different things. That you develop a muscle memory for how to do things. Um, uh, oh, well, like one, one is like just doing a watch. Have you ever thought about what it takes to put, take a watch off and to put it on? One, one with a, a clasp, not a clasp, but a, a buckle on it. I hadn't worn a buckle watch for many years, and then I got one a few years ago, and I was like, oh, this is different. I forgot about how to do this. <laughs> You're going to fiddle with it a certain way to get it to work. Once your muscle memory starts working it, then it's no problem. You can do it easily. Well, I want your brain spiritual muscle memory to always go to prayer when you have trouble. Not to complaining, not to despondency or despair, but go to prayer, to prayer, to prayer. Make it part of your muscle memory so that when you're under stress, you will go back to the basic training of prayer. The Lord goes to three rounds of prayer here. One, two, and three. And each one of these, there's the prayer and then there's the part of the disciples and what they have. So in round one, in verses 39 to 41, the Lord goes to the Father and he prays. In each one of these rounds, there is agonizing prayer. And then it ends with him coming to the disciples and finding them asleep each of the three times. So in his first prayer, in verse 39, he goes, falls on his face and says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This shows to me his unmixed, perfect humanity with his perfect deity. And I say unmixed because it's not, they're not mixed together to form a, a, a separate thing. There's humanity perfect and there's deity perfect all in one person. And he has both here. If it's possible, let this pass. This shows the truly human side of Jesus. He is not a weirdo who revels in human physical suffering. You've heard of some psychopaths like that, right? They just suffering either inflicted upon others or inflicted upon themselves, they have this odd, uh, has this odd appeal to them. He does not love suffering. He's normal in that sense. Physical suffering is not welcomed, nor is spiritual suffering welcomed. It may be necessary. God may do, uh, ordain that for us, but it's not something that we welcome. We actually get kind of anxious about it, like our sister who is going to face surgery next week. Um, This is his genuine feeling on the matter. Let this cup pass. But this does not mean that he is in some unresolvable conflict in his mind. Like, you know, I'm between a rock and a hard place. I can't do this and I can't do that. So what am I going to do? No, ultimately the the resolution is the divine plan has to go forward. Scripture has to be fulfilled. And he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He knew God was in charge, and he had to give that over to him. I don't see a great big deal here, as some people have seen, as some kind of conflict in the Lord or something like that. Uh, that you know, Maybe that you could say there's some kind of temptation here to pull away from the will of God for the humanity of Christ, but as we know, he was not temptable to the point of being able to sin. He was not because of the 
deity indwelling the, the fullness of the, bod, of the Godhead dwelling in him bodily. So he comes back to the, to the disciples in verse 40 and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? So don't think of this like the Lord went away and prayed for two minutes and then came back to be with the disciples. Uh, one hour, maybe it was in fact 60 minutes, plus or minus. Peter is the focal point here. He says to Peter, of the leader of the three and leader of all 11, uh, James and John also included, and the other eight disciples ultimately, all were asleep. It was evidently very late at night. They had had a long day. They had bad news to process. And remember, they had a large meal too, right? The Passover meal. They were unable to stay awake for a sweet hour of prayer. But they had to get into prayer to protect them from the temptations of the flesh. They were about to face a test that would send them fleeing from the Lord. They wanted to succeed in not falling prey to sin and temptation. Their spirit was willing. You see where it says there, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Don't you notice that about yourself? I want to do right, but sometimes I fail to do right. I want to have the right attitude, but sometimes I don't have the right attitude. I want to say the right words, but I don't always say I want to see the right things. I don't always see. I want to experience the right things. I don't always do that. I want to read my Bible. I don't always. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How do you tackle temptation? Because the spirit and the flesh are attached with one another, the flesh tries to weaken the resolve of the spirit. And so if you want to beat back temptation, and I mean beat it back with a baseball bat, you need to pray. Rise and pray. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. If you're having a struggle with temptation, you better be praying. Better be praying. The Lord instructs the disciples that in the worst of situations here. Their dear friend is about to go away, be killed. And so he says to pray. Round number two, he prays. The flavor of the prayer is the same. Verse 42, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, now here's a little difference here. If this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. What is the cup? The cup of agony the cup of Gethsemane. I think there's a hymn that Naomi has sang that has that phrase in there, doesn't it? The cup is a common metaphor for an experience of something. In this case, it's the experience of suffering. You know, we have the cup of blessing. That's a, there's, a, there's a blessing associated with it. The cup of suffering, there's agony associated with that. The cup cannot pass from him unless he drinks it. And then... Once he has done drinking, then it will be over and it will have passed. It will be in the past and done. So he emphasizes again that his ultimate desire is for God's will to be accomplished. And he knows that the only way around the cup is what? Actually through the cup. The only way around it? is through it. God's going to make a way to pass this test. So 
Sometimes our own trials are like that. You can't sidestep them. You have to hit them head on. You have to go right through them. You have to endure them. You have to wait for God to answer. And uh, shortcuts may just not be in the works for it. The second time, the Lord comes back to the disciples in verse 43. It says, and he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again. Now, it doesn't tell us for sure, but I wonder if they thought there was only two rounds because they slept through the second one and didn't even realize there was that second one. It doesn't tell us that they spoke to him or that he spoke to them. He left them and went on his way again. The flesh was overcome with sleep, and the more necessary work of prayer Listen, listen, the more necessary work of prayer was left undone. I sometimes will tell my wife, you know, something like this. If I don't do such and such, I will be in sin. I have to get to the Word this afternoon, or I have to do uh, this visit, or I have to pray, or something like that. And so that means look out of my way, because I've got to do that. I don't want to be charged with sin before God. And the more necessary work at this time, there will be other time for the disciples to sleep. Tonight, they shouldn't have been sleeping. They should have done the best that they could to stay awake and to pray with the Lord uh, and, and, and be able to do so so that they would avoid falling into temptation. The more necessary work was left undone. Round number three, we repeat the same thing again. The prayer The text simply says, the Lord prayed the same words. It's like Paul, who prayed three times for the thorn to be removed. And what did the Lord say? No, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Daniel prayed three times a day. The psalmist in Psalm 55, 17 reminds us that he prayed evening and morning and at noon three times. But the Lord had to answer no, the Father, because if there was to be salvation for sinners, if the scriptures were to be fulfilled, if God's will were to be done, then Jesus had to go through the physical pain and the spiritual devastation of the cross. The answer of the Father to this initial prayer If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. The answer had to be no. And thanks be to God that it was no, because we were saved by that no. You have to go through this, Jesus, for the sake of the plan of God and the people of God. The third time, I mean, this is... This is like earth-shattering stuff that's going on between the Son and the Father as the Son turns to the Father and prays to Him. This is not a, a John 17 prayer. This isn't a you know, prayer for blessing on the food that He's about to multiply and give to the disciples or whatever, uh, the, the, the feeding the 5,000, all that. This is a different kind of prayer. This is serious business. The disciples were asleep yet again in verse 45. His prayers were not five minutes each. The Lord Jesus was pleading with the Father in view of what he knew to be coming. I expect that each round took quite a few minutes. 
like the first one, have you not been able to watch with me one hour? The words of his prayers are reported in the text in, in a summary fashion. It doesn't give us all of his words. God is pleased not to reveal all of those things to us. But the disciples fell asleep yet again. This was, I think, as I, as I was kind of speculating a little bit about it, not only because they didn't understand the full gravity of the situation. Um, let, me say it, let me say it a different way. They could sleep because it didn't bother them as much as it was bothering Jesus. Do you remember? You think about that. If you have something that's really bothering you, you can't sleep, right? Most of us anyway. Um, they didn't understand the full gravity of the situation. It wasn't going to happen to them so they could fall asleep. I'm, I'm certainly not saying that we should be able to stay up for you know 48 or 72 or however many hours at a time if, if we're in distress. We have to get sleep. They were the ones, though, that weren't about to die. And I don't believe they fully understood what was going on here yet. But Jesus did. There was no trouble for him to stay awake. No trouble at all. We might even say that he was physically wired because of the difficulties about to be faced. The hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed right now. Verse 46, he says, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The final round of prayer ended when Judas and the authorities came to arrest Jesus. And so Jesus directed the disciples that it was time for them all to be going. Of course, he knew he wasn't going anywhere. He knew he would not get away from the authorities. However, the other disciples would not want to be arrested. Jesus did not want to permit them to be persecuted at this time. And as John 17 says in that high priestly prayer, the ones you gave to me I have kept and I have lost none except for the son of perdition. So in, even in this moment, he's making sure that that prayer is fulfilled, that he has lost none. And so, yes, they scatter, but they're not killed by the Roman or Jewish authorities. They are protected from that ultimate persecution and so that they could continue on carrying on the ministry of the Lord even after he left them and went to heaven. So this is, the, this is the difficult hour that the Lord faced here in Gethsemane, the olive press. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to commend our, the thoughts of our hearts to you. Fill us with gratitude for the work that Christ did in this garden much different than the original garden where Adam and Eve found themselves. That garden was one of delight, this one of doom. That one full of peace and righteousness, this one full of darkness and anticipation of sin. Lord, thank you that the Lord had that attitude. Yeah, he could call legions of angels to come to his assistance, but then how would the scriptures be fulfilled? And so he was controlled by an overarching desire to make sure that the scriptures would come to pass. Thank you for this. Thank you for providing our salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering for us. Mm. We don't deserve it, but we're thankful for it. Keep us humble. 
Keep us praying when we are distressed. Keep us praying so that we don't enter into temptation as you've instructed your disciples here. In Jesus' name, amen.